Welcome to the Nourished Brain Podcast, where you'll receive cutting-edge nutrition and mindset strategies to optimize brain health, mood, energy, and the gut-brain connection. I'm Sarah Fahara, a registered dietitian, certified health and wellness coach, and integrative and functional nutrition certified practitioner. Glad you're here. Let's dive in. Maria Noel Groves, a registered professional clinical herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, is the best-selling author of the award-winning Body Into Balance, now a core textbook in herb schools around the country, and Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, as well as the owner of Wintergreen Botanicals Herbal Clinic and Education Center in New Hampshire. She writes and teaches nationally about herbal medicine and offers both on-site and distance herbal study courses and health consultations. She's a graduate of the Southwest School of Botanical Medicine in Sage Mountain, among others, and has more than 20 years of experience in herbalism. She's an adjunct instructor for the Herbal Academy and a guest presenter at the Maryland University of Integrative Health, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy, the American Holistic Nursing Association, and other schools and organizations. Maria melds evidence-based medicine, traditional Western herbalism, food-based nutrition, and personal clinical experience, and presents at national herb and health conferences, including the International Herbal Symposium, American Herbalist Guild Symposium, Great Lakes Herb Fair, New England Women's Herbal Conference, and the Mountain Rose Herbs Free Herbalism Project. She's a regular contributor to Herb Quarterly, Mother Earth Living, Mother Earth News, Taste for Life, and Remedies magazines. A lot on your plate, Maria. Oh, that's Thank, a you for, <laughs> Thank you so much for, you. for being here. Great sense of, of your rich history with all things herbalism. So really just delighted to have you here today to talk about why herbalism matters for attention and focus, cognition. So thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And this is a topic I adore. So I'm more than happy to chat with it. So what would we, what would you like to dive into first? Yeah. Well, tell us a bit about your, you know, first, um, your practice philosophy as it relates to what we're going to dive into, you know, curious, um, you know, how your approach around ADHD and cognition and focus has unfolded as the years have gone on. And yeah, really, you know, tell us a little bit about the framework in which you approach it as an herbalist. Sure. And I have kind of a variety of different levels of experience when it comes to ADHD. So, you know, back when I was in herb school, one of my little side jobs was working in a natural food store. And we had a very large population of parents coming in with kids with ADHD as well as autism spectrum conditions. And I would often ask them, just as feedback. And this was, you know, certainly not scientific and it wasn't anywhere near as in depth as seeing clients, but it was a great way to chat with lots of people and get feedback on what they were actually seeing the best results from. Cause we sold a lot of products, but those were not really big sellers. And the feedback I got from parents definitely was that the lifestyle and especially the dietary changes ended up being 
pretty big. But then as I delved into my herbalism career, I have come across lots of studies and I do personally work with all the herbs that we'll be talking about extensively for ADHD, general cognitive well-being, and a lot of other uses. And I do feel like they're amazing sort of additions to the diet and lifestyle piece for working with ADHD as well as other cognitive complaints. My personal practice tends to be predominantly adults, but I do sometimes work with children and, you know, parents of with children as well. And so a lot of these things are applicable to both age groups. And then there are some, and we'll, we'll clarify which things are less appropriate for children and which things are most, but really, you know, we're all sort of the same. It's just, there are just a few things we may or may not want to do with with the other. So I personally love to do a combination when I'm seeing clients of dietary modifications. I don't go too crazy with that, but there are some things that can be very helpful. Maybe some dietary supplements, definitely herbs because I'm an herbalist and I love my herbs and I think they can be really helpful. Uh, but really that diet lifestyle herb combo is my favorite. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about how ADHD or similar conditions are presenting to you as an herbalist? What are you seeing? And, and even more formally, what are some of the signs and symptoms of ADHD or you know, some related concerns? Yeah. Well, just kind of some statistics to start us off. ADHD in children um, affects about 10% of American kids, which is a pretty large amount. And the numbers definitely do seem to be rising with each decade. And some of that is certainly diagnosis and just increased folks looking for it and diagnosing it. But it also does seem like the incidence is increasing as well. And then there is a lot less data on adults, but often it does persist into adulthood. And one of the stats that I was able to find was that about 10 million adults do have ADHD as well. It's a lot easier to live with ADHD as an adult, oftentimes because you have more control over your surroundings. But children in a school environment that is not hospitable to ADHD can have a really tough time. So that tends to be the audience that we focus most on and that the medical model focuses most on, but definitely it affects the adults, I think, just as much as it affects kids. So some of the, the basic symptoms, you know, just the classic symptoms of ADHD, there, there are two basic types and you can have both or you can have one or the other. So one would be inattentiveness and the other one would be more that hyperactivity. And so like I said, you don't necessarily have to have both of those in order to be considered to have ADHD. Usually it starts to present when folks are younger, so before the age of 12, and usually you're going to see it in more than one setting. So if, some, if you've got a kid who's just super bad in school, but they're fine everywhere else, then it might just be that school is not engaging them, but not necessarily that they have ADHD. But if, you know, maybe it's not just school, but also work or also home or also social or sports or something else that you're seeing those symptoms pop up, then it's more likely that there is actually some sort of a neurological I hate to call it a condition, we'll get to that later on, but a neurological difference that would give them that diagnosis of ADHD. And mm -hmm. another big piece of it is not just that somebody's inattentive, but that it's interfering with their quality of life and their quality of performance in those different settings. And usually also the practitioners are going to want to rule out any other conditions like anxiety or personality disorders, or even something more serious like schizophrenia, because that can start to manifest as you go into the teen years and the young adult years in particular. And um, 
and also that they understand. So, you know, maybe somebody isn't very good at reading. And so that's why they're having a hard time. And that might look like ADHD until you delve more deeply into it and realize that that's not actually what's going on, or that maybe there's some other developmental concern that is making it so that the child doesn't understand what's going on. And so they're, that's why they're not able to be attentive or follow through. So some of the various symptoms would be, you know, that maybe they're not paying really good attention to detail. They're making lots of mistakes. They might not be able to focus on things for any length of time, especially activities that are not really as great of interest to them. So, you know, they might be super into video games and can be hyper-focused for that. Or if they're really into sports, maybe they're hyper-focused at that, but then everything else they're not really that great at. So hyper-focused when they're really interested, but otherwise usually not very well-focused. They might not always seem to listen when people are speaking to them directly. They might have a hard time organizing tasks and activities. And I think of, especially with my husband who certainly throughout his whole life has displayed some of the inattention symptoms. I don't think he's ever been diagnosed, but I think of him where, you know, it's very challenging for him to set himself up for doing a project, to understand the steps with which to do it, to make sure you get all the pieces and parts in order. Those are all things that folks with ADHD and especially that intent, inattentiveness side of things can be really challenged by, you know, they finally are ready to go do something and they're missing, you know, they can't find a pencil or they're missing some critical tool that they need to do the assignment and they're often losing things. Um, in contrast, you have a hyperactivity group of symptoms. And I think that's even more challenging for our system of education with, and also more challenging for parents and then even challenging for kids as well. Cause usually these kids are just kind of on go, go, go. Um, it's like they're driven by a motor. They might be making noises even when they're just sitting around. They might be fidgeting, tapping, squirming. My mother, who would also, you know, was never diagnosed, but would certainly have likely been diagnosed if she had had the chance as a kid that she would talk about rocking back and forth to get to sleep and her sisters who shared a bedroom with her like, would you just knock it off? But, <laughs> you know, just needing to, to go, go, go. And that tends to be more the hyperactivity side of things. And, and you could have that or not have that and still have ADHD. Mm -hmm. so, and often you'll see a lot of other things coexisting. So you might see more likelihood for anxiety, depression, as folks get older, substance abuse, both as a coping mechanism for the stress of not really fitting into a world that expects you to behave a particular way, but also as a form of self-medication. So some folks might appreciate that they slow down when they have alcohol or, you know, a lot of folks will self-medicate as they get into college with marijuana, which until recently, or can Cannabis, however you want to refer to it, which now is getting a little bit more socially acceptable, but maybe 20, 30 years ago was not. And, you know, you have all of these different things that, that often coincide with attention deficit disorder. And more than half mm -hmm. the kids that get diagnosed do end up taking medications. There's a lot of pressure on parents when you have kids in school, because let's face it, the school system is not set up for folks ha who have this sort of presentation. You know, it's, some folks would consider this to be more of a neurodivergence and not a actual disease. It's just that these folks are different, but not that, that they are necessarily unhealthy. And we have a school system and a lifestyle set in place that really isn't very normal for human beings. And it tends to be particularly challenging for folks with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So really throughout the lifespan, the way that someone 
really is, um, you know, kind of noticing that these ADHD symptoms manifest could be radically different, whereas in adulthood could be influencing some of the behavioral choices that are made, um, could influence work performance or relationship dynamics. Um, with children, there might be just a lot of uncertainty or frustration there because kids might not know why they can't perform well and parents might not know why they, not, why they can't perform well, whether it's actually, like you're saying, something neurological or something that's not yet been identified. So, um, but it sounds like, um, you know, to me, based off what I know about the current diagnostic model, is that in order for ADHD to be diagnosed, it has to be present as a child. Is that still correct? You can't develop as as, it as an adult? I mean, I am not a diagnosing professional, but as far as I'm aware, that is part of the diagnosis, that it's not something that develops in adulthood. It's something that mm -hmm. starts at usually before age 12. Yeah, earlier on. Yeah. So when you think about um, in your practice as an herbalist, um, some of the lifestyle factors, which seem to be really important, whether for an adult or a child, what are some of those root causes or um, root elements for um, a lifestyle-based approach to working with individuals struggling? Definitely. Well, before we even get into you know herbs and supplements, which we're not getting there yet, there are definitely a few basic pillars of health to look at. And there are things that come up regularly with almost any health concern, but they are definitely really important for folks with ADHD, focus issues, and attentiveness. So one of them is physical activity. And it studies do show that when children and adults, really all ages, when we are more physically active, when we're able to go and get aerobic exercise regularly, that our cognition and our focus is going to be better. And one really cool study that I saw for children with ADHD, they had three groups, basically. They had um, two groups of kids with ADHD, one that got to do a relay race, and then one that just you know, was sedentary. And then they also had kids who are, you know, quote unquote normal. And so the two groups, you know, we had our groups that did the relay race and they did some cognitive and attentiveness tests afterwards. And then they also had the quote unquote normal kids and then the ADHD kids that did not do the relay race. Well, the kids with ADHD, if they did this like burst of physical activity just before they sat down at a desk, they performed just as well as the normal kids. Whereas the kids who did not get to do that, that just kind of sat the whole time and didn't get that burst of energy out, didn't have that chance to get all the blood, blood pumping, you know, there are probably a lot of different reasons why exercise and physical activity, especially aerobic exercise is helpful. Those kids did 30% worse. So they kind of displayed those symptoms of ADHD, but the ones who exercised, you know, were going to be having more focus and did better on their cognitive tests and were really perform just as well as the kids we would consider to be normal. So Huge that was difference. a great study. Yeah. There've been so mm. many studies, you know, not specifically with ADHD, but with just cognition and exercise in general to show that that's huge. And it's a good thing to ask ourselves as we see school systems getting rid of physical activity and recess, of, you know, this really isn't a normal environment for kids to be in, to be expected to sit at a seat at, you know, age six or age 10 and not move and do a bunch of academic activities all day long. It really isn't normal. And for folks who have this sort of neural pathway of things, they, they're even less able to adapt to that abnormal environment that we've put us all, put all of our kids in basically, or almost all of our kids. Another big area is sleep. 
And this is one of those chicken and the egg things because oftentimes folks who have issues with ADHD, especially the hyperactivity side, might have disordered sleep as a result of that hyperactivity. But then also when we're sleep deprived, again, many studies on different age groups, both with or without ADHD show that there's a link between sleep deprivation and an ability to focus and remain attentive and function properly on a cognitive level. And so that could involve cognitive behavioral therapy or good sleep hygiene or limiting screen time at night, which can be challenging for parents to do with their kids, but you know, at least having things sort of wind down in that hour or two before bedtime. And you could certainly also use sleep herbs. Some of my favorites that are you know, appropriate for children and adults would be valerian, skullcap, passion flower, lemon balm. And some of those we'll come back to in a little while because some of those are also great remedies in and of themselves for ADHD. And then, you know, one of the other big areas is diet. And this is overwhelmingly the piece that I got feedback from in par with the parents when I was working in the natural food store that they saw the biggest difference with. So when they would cut out artificial ingredients, food dyes were real biggie, sugar and other, you know, sweetened, that's like wasn't necessarily only sugar as pure sugar, but also honey, maple syrup, dates, all of those things are really quite sweet and have similar sugar impacts in the body. So really drastically reducing that in the children's diet and also addressing any food sensitivities. It's pretty common that kids and adults who have ADHD as well as autism spectrum conditions often do have coexisting food sensitivities. Oftentimes there is some microbiome imbalance and I think there's lots more work for us to do researching that but avoiding things like gluten or dairy, those tend to be common irritants and that can tend to make kids do better as well. And then boosting omega-3 fatty acids, which do a lot of different things. But one of the things is that they do help line all of the, they're part of the, the healthy cell lining as well as healthy nerve lining. And that's probably at least part of the reason why it's important for brain function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as a foundation, even with with nutrition, <laughs> I mean, really, what I'm hearing from you, and I'm totally in, a, in alignment and agreement with this, is you need to avoid anything that's causing more irritation for your central nervous system. You know, it's only making it worse. And then, yeah, just nourishing your brain, allowing all of those signals to be sent with those with those fatty acids. It's it's so simple in principle, but can really just make such a huge, huge difference. And that's tight blood sugar control. I've also heard that anecdotally to just really, really keep things super stable throughout the day. Um, it can just completely change the way a, a kiddo especially is feeling. But I think the same is for same as for adults too, you know, for sure. So yeah, so really, really great foundational ideas and tips. So uh, are you ready to move into some of the herbal? Well in just a moment, because I actually realized there's one other really important okay. thing that yeah, as an please. herbalist, I really should should mention, and I, I forgot to, and yeah. that is spending that unstructured tape. Uh, unstructured playtime in nature. Yeah. So you've yeah. probably heard of the book Last Child in the Woods and Nature Deficit Disorder. Yes. But there is a lot of link to kids not having that time to just go outside in natural environments. It doesn't have to be anything really fancy. It could just be a park with you know a couple trees and a few rocks, but something that's more than just a flat field to 
do make believe and just not, not have something that they need to do. And kids have such structured schedules nowadays and that can be really therapeutic to have that time. And especially for kids who are really overtly um, not fitting in with the modern school system often will do better in an environment that's more of like a nature-based school, you know, at home school or nature-based school, because it, it, it's just much more nourishing and soothing to the nervous system. Mm-hmm. To have that environment in place. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. So as you think about herbal support and moving beyond the basics into more specific interventions, perhaps, or designing some strategies, um, can you tell us a bit about your framework for that? So um, some of the categories, perhaps, that herbal support would fall into for, for something like ADHD or attention or focus. Yeah. As a Western herbalist, you know, I do love my herbal actions. So this would be kind of categorizing herbs by what activity they have on the body. And and many herbs fit into more than one category. So it's not like, oh, this herb is that and only that. You know, oftentimes they do more than one thing. But some of the actions that we see as being particularly useful when we're working with ADHD in children and adults would be one, the nootropics. And that's a pretty broad term. It refers to smart drugs. So basically it, it originally applied to pharmaceuticals, but we also use it for herbs. So these are herbs that benefit cognition, benefit brain function in some way. So most of the herbs that we'll be talking about would actually be categorized as nootropic, but go to cola, bacopa are two of my favorites, and we can kind of go deeper in a little bit onto the individual herbs. Uh, another group that I tend to use more often with adults are adaptogens, and those are herbs that help our body adapt to stress. And I, I love them for adults. I'm a little bit more hesitant using most of them with children because they often do have effects on stress hormones as well as reproductive hormones. And I'm just personally not as comfortable using those regularly with kids, Um, but they can be useful. And then nervines, those are a great category. Some people refer to that as nervines, nervines, same thing. And those are herbs that really nourish and support the nervous system. So they might be a little bit calming, but usually it's more that they're just really nourishing and supporting the nervous system. But on that note as well, for folks who do need a, you know, to be brought down a notch, those more hyperactive folks, calming herbs, you know, the nervines, but also the herbs that are a little bit more overtly sedating or calming can be really useful. And particularly, especially if we're talking about daytime use, I like to stick to the ones that are only moderately calming and combining them with other herbs that aren't too sedating because we don't want to be putting people to sleep in the middle of the day. We just want to bring things down a notch, but still have good focus. And then, um, Stimulants are sometimes useful. I don't use them as often in everybody, but sometimes people do well to have a little bit of a pick-me-up if they are feeling more sluggish during the day. Or an interesting characteristic of clinically ADHD folks is that they often respond paradoxically to stimulants like caffeine. And so whereas most people would feel kind of hyped up from having a bunch of caffeine, somebody with ADHD might actually feel calm and like really focused with that. So those can sometimes be useful, but I'm not usually into giving lots of stimulants to children. So they're not my first go-to, but sometimes they're useful. And then last but not least would be herbs that support circulation, which is going to help with getting blood flow to the brain, from the brain, you know, throughout the body and can just be really nice and supportive as a cognitive well-being set of herbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're thinking about using some of these, some of these categories, 
what is it that are your your go-tos for mm, for kind of thinking through what might be helpful? You know, are you thinking in terms of specific benefits you've seen from each? Um, you know, are there are there certain herbs that stand out as just go-tos for ADHD in general? Like how do you start to sort through what might make the most sense for this person versus this person? Yeah. You know, every herb has its personality. So, you know, each herb is going to have the variety of actions that it has. So, you know, maybe something like go-to-cola is a gentle adaptogen that's also kid-safe, plus a nootropic, plus a circulation enhancer, and moderately calming and nervine as well. So like, okay, great. That does a lot of things. That's probably good for most people. Yep. But, you know, then it also has its specific indications as well. And just kind of the the personality of it. How does it taste? How does it feel? Is it drying? Is it is it moistening? Is it warming? Is it cooling? And how does that match the person? And so in herbalism, sometimes we'll refer to energetics as those tissue states, hot, dry, cold, damp, you know, all that. And, uh, and we'll match up sort of the opposite. So if somebody is running really hot, we might be more apt to use cooling herbs. Go-to cola does tend to be a little bit more cooling. If somebody's really moist, we might use something more drying. Or if somebody is already really dry, we might not want to use an herb that is very drying. So rhodiola is a cognitive herb that I love, but it's also very dry. So I'd be cautious using large amounts of it in somebody who's dry. And we usually will balance herbs and formula. So it's not really strong in its energetics in one particular way, but we'll think about that as we're choosing our herbs for the individual. Also, some herbs act really quickly and other herbs act more slowly, like those nootropics, go-to cola and bacopa. I love them, but they are slow and subtle herbs. Mm. And that was all you were using. People might be a little bit discarded and not feel like they're getting enough effect. So adding in other herbs are aromatic mint family herbs like rosemary and lemon balm are excellent herbs that work within minutes or within an hour or so, whereas the goju kohl and the bacopa usually are going to build up over the course of months. So often I'll combine a mix of those because I do love the actions that goju cola and bacopa and some of those other, you know, slow herbs have, but I, you know, we need something that's going to give some support immediately. And those mint family plants in particular are really great for that. And you can pick even within that set, like you've got rosemary and then you've got lemon balm. Lemon balm is more calming and nervous system supportive, whereas rosemary is very perky. It's very alert. It gets the circulation going. It's very moving. And so depending upon your person, you might, you might use both of them, but you might kind of lean more towards one or the other, emphasize one in the formula, or you may just skip, skip one entirely and go for the other. And so those are just some ways that as you're learning about each individual herb, and it is always good to really learn each plant and all the different nuances of it. And that way you can pick the ones that are most suitable for that individual. And you can use just one. There's no problem with that. If you're like, oh, this is really like a lemon balm person, or this person is just really screaming rosemary to me, you could use just yeah. one. But often I think these herbs work really well in, in a combination of maybe two or three or five five herbs together and having one of those herbs be a synergist. Rosemary is one of the synergists that I really love. And then another one would be peppermint. And these are herbs that you really don't need a lot of, but they help the other herbs work better. They might improve circulation. They might improve digestion. They assist the assimilation of the herbs, but then they also have their own cognitive benefits. And so I'll throw a little bit of that into the formula with your 
you know, bigger amounts of those more slow acting herbs and put it together. And a lot of the studies that have used combination blends have been even more effective mm. than the single herbs. And there was a cool study. It was just a lab study, but there was a really cool study that they did of Bacopa versus rosemary. And so when they use them separately, they both had great antioxidant properties. But when they combine them, instead of being about like 100% or so boost of antioxidant capacity, you ended up with 150, even though it was, you know, ultimately it was the same amount of herbs, but instead of having all one or all the other, they used a 50-50 blend, that that combo, which really speaks to the way herbalists use it because Bacopa is great, but really throwing that little bit of rosemary in it, you know, in the study they did 50-50, I might actually only do like five to 15% rosemary and the rest Bacopa because it is such a strong herb, but you get this nice little boost. And there's a lot of research kind of speckled throughout the science showing that there's validity to that synergy concept that, that we know and love in herbalism. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot that you're thinking about from the actions of the herbs, the speed at which they might be working, energetics, the person themselves. Sounds like you're almost um, kind of filling in gaps or trying to balance the person out with all of these different considerations. Okay, so as you're thinking about using all of these herbs in these different categories, could you give us you know, one to two examples of each of these and, and what you see in practice and tell us a little more about, about the herbs? Definitely. So our first group that we often will think of when we're talking about cognition in general, and especially ADHD would be those nootropics or those sort of smart drugs or smart herbs. So these are herbs that help with cognition. They help with memory. They're often acting directly on the brain as far as we're aware and helping the nervous system function better. And then they have many other benefits too, because like I said, you know, no one herb has only one action. Usually I have multiple ones, but some of my favorite nootropics will, we'll go into go to cola and bacopa because I feel like those are the most useful, but other herbs that would fall into this category would be lion's mane, which is a mushroom, rhodiola, ginkgo, which I tend to use more for, you know, elders heading towards, you know, dementia. I wouldn't use it so much in ADHD personally, holy basil, rosemary, those would all be considered to be nootropics. But bacopa is a really good one to start with. And this is an herb that comes to us from India and the system of Ayurveda. And in fact, we have a lot of great cognitive herbs that come from Ayurveda. And I like to call this one bacopa. It's bacopa monieri is the Latin name. And it sometimes also gets called Brahmi, but Brahmi is a term that can refer to Bacopa or Gotukola, which is actually the next herb that I'm going to mention. And they have a lot of similarities, but they are also totally different plants and Gotukola has a whole bunch of extra things that it does. And so I just find the term Brahmi to be a little bit confusing. So if you do see that on a product label, if you're buying herbs or you're looking at what's in a tea blend or something like that, try to check out the Latin name so that you know which one it is because the dosages would be a little bit different. The flavors are very different. Um, and they do have slightly different actions. They are both, you know, both Bacopa and Gotukola. Gotukola's Latin name is Centella Asiatica. They are both really useful for improving focus and alertness while also helping people be calmer and less anxious, but not sedating. So they have this really nice ability to promote calm, but not make people sleepy and enhance focus. And we'll see that as a theme of some of the herbs that we'll be talking about, that some of them are really good at promoting a calm but still alert state. And others are a little bit more zippy and some are just more overtly calming. 
So Bacopa is really nice for helping, particularly with memory-free recall. So that's like when you can't remember where you left your stuff. That would be an example or, or what that person's name is. Those would all be examples of memory-free recall. And it takes a while for this to build up. Most of the research of this has been on you know, adults and elders, but there has been some research on children with ADHD as well. And so we're looking at like 300 to 450 milligrams of extracts, or I'll use tinctures personally in my practice. And and those are just alcohol extracts and I make them pretty strong. And those I might use, you know, anywhere from one to five milliliters if I was using just Bacopa, but usually I'm not using just Bacopa. I'll do a combination blend and then I'll use one to five milliliters of the combination and do that, you know, anywhere from once to three times a day, you know, especially heading off before school is a great time. And then if it's possible to get another dose in, in school, that's great. Sometimes that can be challenging. You might be able to like sneak it in the, the drink water bottle, although glycerites do taste better and you can use those too, but they're not quite as strong, but they taste better and they're alcohol free and they're sweet. Um, but Bacopa does taste like a combination of chewing on aspirin and drinking overbrewed tea. So it's not that palatable. So that will be a challenge. So I'm not going to be making cups of tea of Bacopa because in my opinion, it's just not palatable and it's not very kid-friendly because of the flavor. Medicinally, it's very kid-friendly, but the flavor is not that kid-friendly. So a tincture where you can just get it over with, maybe you know that might be the one time the kid gets a little bit of juice so that you can cover up the flavor a little bit or capsules would work too and you can buy Bacopa in stores and it's in a lot of the cognitive blends that are out there. And so there have been some various studies on school-aged kids with ADHD and have shown benefits for immediate memory, perception, reaction performance times, learning, memory tasks. And so there have been studies where they just use Bacopa and then also studies where they use Bacopa combined with other herbs, usually other herbs from Ayurveda, like say ashwagandha or gotu kola with good results. And there are even more studies that are in the process of being done that we'll get results from in the next couple of years, which will be cool. Um, because it is kind of strongly bitter and astringent, it could be a little bit upsetting to sensitive stomachs. And when I'm giving dosing, I'm giving dosing for an adult. And so you're going to want to assume like a 150 pound person for that, you know, one to five milliliters. If you have a kid, you're going to want to divide that dose by weight. So if you had a 50 pound child, you do one third of the dose. Or if you had a 25 pound child, you might do one sixth of that adult dose. And I, it's always nice to start with a low dose of herbs to give everybody a chance to get used to them, make sure they agree with them, and then slowly work the dose up to the dose that seems to be effective. That's a nice way to approach it. So that's a little bit about Bacopa. It's generally really pretty safe. It just would be that sensitive stomach thing. And so I would definitely make sure to have that with food as well, especially food that's got a little bit, I mean, we're not talking about sugar, but something that's got a little bit of carbohydrates because sometimes having something really bitter and astringent lowers blood sugar a little bit. And in general, mm. if anybody has a sensitive stomach or is tends towards hypoglycemia, it's nice to have your herbs with a little bit of food so that you're less apt to have problems with that. Mm -hmm. So did you That's have any questions down. about Bacopa before I jump in? To no, I, I, 
No, that's really, really great. Appreciate the dosing info there. And I'm just so interested to hear that there's yeah, some, been some research specifically about the Bacopa and ashwagandha. And that's really, really neat. So so the other one you mentioned is um, Gotu Cola. So that's also in this, this yes, category. Yes, this is also a nootropic. And it does yeah. a lot of different things. It's, it is an adaptogen. And it's one of the adaptogens I would actually feel very comfortable using with children and in Ayurveda and in India. The often feed kids go to cola leaves as they go back to school because when oh, wow. you're in yeah when you're in the countries where go to cola is indigenous it's this sort of low growing kind of like ivy-ish looking plant if you're familiar with the common weed ground ivy this looks a lot like it it's totally unrelated botanically but the leaves and the growth pattern look very similar although go to cola really would love to be growing in sewage sludge so this is a good mm. reason to be very careful about where you're sourcing your go to cola from and it is something that you could grow yourself. I grow it in pots and then I make sure the pots are glazed or you could use plastic pots, something that's not going to dry out quickly like a terracotta pot and just make sure it keep really rich soil and that you're keeping it very moist because it likes to be watered like like every day, twice a day would be, it's, it's a little bit needy in that regards because it wants to be in kind of sludgy conditions in India, not, you know, I'm in New Hampshire. It really doesn't want to be growing <laughs> in a dry, you know, winter cold environment in New Hampshire. So we have to give it a little extra TLC, but it is actually pretty easy to grow if you get those conditions right. Or you could sometimes get it from a few local organic farms, or you can get it from good quality suppliers. I would aim for getting it from an organic farm that's cultivating it and that has a paper trail and is not able to just go harvesting it from who knows where. I've heard of stories, both my Goltier and Michael Moore have had stories about finding Calcutta tickets. One was a race ticket and the other one was a train ticket in their dry go-to cola when they got them into their shops. um, And not surprisingly, you know, lab tests have also found E. coli on go-to cola as well. So it's a great safe food-like herb, but you want to make sure you're sourcing it well. So when Mm. I meet folks from Sri Lanka, they're usually very excited because they love go-to cola. They cook it with, you know, onions and garlic and use it as a vegetable green. Oh, wow. Yeah. Salads with it. You can juice it. It tastes okay. It's not horrible tasting like bacopa, but it's not amazing. It's more like parsley and watercress combined. So it's not like this mild salad green, but it's edible and actually consuming it in larger quantities than pretty much everything else that we're going to be talking about is even better. So if you can, you know, incorporate it into the diet, if you have enough of it around to do that with, or taking slightly higher doses, you're having that be a bigger percentage of your formula is a good idea because it's, it's really amazing, but it's also somewhat feeble. So those larger doses are better. And this is one of those ones that takes longer, you know, a couple months to really build up. But goju cola, like bacopa, helps calm but also maintain a sense of focus and alertness. It also is going to go in and help protect and promote the healing and function of the nerves in the brain and throughout the body. But goju cola also is an adaptogen. It also does help modulate stress hormones a little bit. One of the interesting studies they did was found that it reduced startle response. So, you know, when people make a loud noise and you jump, you know, 10 feet up in the air, that when people took goju cola, on a regular basis, they got less jumpy to that startle response, which would indicate that Hmm. you're not jumping into that fight or flight mode quite so easily. And so it was just kind of a fun study 
that they did on, on human adults in that case. Not as many mm-hmm. human studies on Gotukola, but it has a long history of use. Both Bacopa and Gotukola have been used for thousands and thousands of years in Ayurveda. So they and have been used for cognitive conditions and have been used in children as well as adults. So we have long history, some research, but not a ton, especially the human studies. And uh, Gotukola is also really good for circulation, promoting healthy blood vessel lining. It's a great wound healer. It supports collagen. So it has a lot of different uses and cognition just happens to be what it's most famous for. Another Mm -hmm. fun way to remember Gotukola is that this is a plant that elephants love to eat. And so it's Mm. said that part of the reason why elephants have such great memory is because they eat so much Gotukola. So how do you, um, how do you grow it in New Hampshire? It's usually... Yeah, I grow mine in pots. So you could grow it in the mm-hmm. ground. And I've had students who grow it in like rich soil that's sort of dappled sun in an area that gets that maybe a little bit moist or that you're getting it watered regularly with say drip irrigation or something like that. But it would like to be a little bit soggy. So if you had a soggy area of your property with rich soil and dappled sun, that's where it would be the happiest. What I do is I grow it in a good size pot with almost 100% compost. And then I have it in this little nook of my yard right by where the faucet for the water is. And so there's often like dripping. It's kind of like a little damp, cool spot. And that's where it really likes to grow. And then in the wintertime, I'll bring it inside and I find sort of a, you know, you don't want to have it right next to the window and you don't want to have it right by the heater because it'll be sensitive to the dryness from those areas. But someplace sort of warm, a little bit sunny, but not too sunny. So indirect light is really its favorite. And then what I'll do, because I'm not good at, I'm not going to go and water it twice a day. I'm just not, I have too many things to do. (laughs) So I have these plant nanny type steaks. So they're like little terracotta steaks that you put into your pots and then you wine bottles or whatever your big glass bottles are and add water to them. And so I usually put two of those in my pot of go-to cola. So it has even more, and then you'll still need to give it a, a, a drink all around every now and then, but that keeps it from dying, kind of limps along in my inattentiveness throughout the winter time. And then is much happier once I put it outside. But I also, when it, it's the growing season, I have drip irrigation. So it gets like five minutes of drip irrigation twice a day in the growing season, but then inside it kind of starves a little bit throughout the winter, but it does okay. I've been keeping them going for years now. I've had former students that have taken home bits and pieces because it does divide up really easily. You can grow it. You can sprout it really easily in water if you just take a cutting off of it and then plant that in the ground. So I've had students bring them home and the ones that have done best with them are the ones that live in like really warm environments with, you know, lots of sun and their apartment is always hot and they've got you know, a a window that it's not right in the window, but it's just inset a little bit from the window and they, they take care of their plants (laughs) and Mm. they them regularly. And those go-to cola plants are always the happiest. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it sounds like in that example, really some room for both uh, a food-based approach, literally eating it (laughs) and then also using something like in that case, would it be a tincture for you that you would do? I do fresh plant tinctures. You can also do dry if you don't, maybe you're not growing it, but you only have access to dried organic go-to cola. So you can definitely do tinctures. You can also make teas with it. It's not amazing tasting, but it's not horrible. So you can easily cover it up with your mints and your rosemary and your lemon balm and other things that taste a lot nicer that are also Mm -hmm. good for cognition. So it is totally fine in a tea. You can throw it in broths. You can even, one of the tricks that KP Khalsa, who's an Ayurvedic herbalist, he'll 
kind of reconstitute it a little bit in some warm water and then cook it with spinach and make an Indian sog with it. Oh. You throw it in pesto, dry or fresh, which would also help cover it up with all that, you know, garlic and lemon. And, and that if you're, if you have a child who likes to eat pesto, that might be a really great way to cover it up because you have all those nice, strong flavors. Well, really, really great idea. Good tips. Good tips. Yeah, you can also just eat a couple leaves, but if mm-hmm. you have a, a child who's picky, they might not do that, but you could just eat yeah. a few leaves a day and that would be nice. To get so another group, and I'm not going to go into this one as much, but I'll just mention mm-hmm. it would be those okay. adaptogens. And those are great herbs that are nice for helping our body adapt to stress. And really most adaptogens are also cognitive herbs. And some of them are more zippy. Some of them are more calm energy. So that's one of the big areas where you'll want to differentiate for the person because eleuthero, for example, and rhodiola are a little bit zippier of those herbs. So that might be great for somebody who's sluggish or that person who paradoxically feels calmer when they take something more stimulating. But if somebody's agitated and stimulants tend to make them worse, I personally wouldn't be leaning especially towards Eleuthero and even possibly Rhodiola. Um, Shazandra is sort of middle ground. Actually, Thomas Easley loves to use Shazandra for adults who are weaning off of things like Adderall and Concerta, some of the drugs that tend to be used, which mm. will help with the withdrawal to some extent, but also has some cognition enhancing properties as well. Ashwagandha tends to be more calm energy. Gotu Cola is one that I do like to use with kids that's calm energy. Holy basil is a little bit more calm energy focused. So we have a lot of options with the adaptogens, but most of those I personally wouldn't use with kids. I'd be more apt to use with adults. Go-to cola is a exception. And then holy basil is also an exception. That's also called Tulsi or Asimum Sanctum, Asimum Tenuiflorum. There, this is a plant of many names, many varieties, mm. and even a diff- couple different species that all are used somewhat interchangeably also coming from Ayurveda. It has many uses. You know, it's most famous for being a calming but energizing adaptogen. It sort of promotes that sort of zen like state. So that feeling you get after you just had a really great meditation or yoga session, and you're just sort of like on a bit of a cloud, that's what holy basil helps you feel like. And it's great as a tea. It tastes good. It's very aromatic and kind of clovey, minty in a sense. Mm. It does also have cognitive benefits as well, even though it's more well-known for being a stress herb. And then also it is a bit of a blood sugar lowering herb, blood sugar modulating herb, especially when stress is bothering blood sugar. Because sometimes when we're stressed, we tend to pull more sugar out of storage into the bloodstream to help us, you know, fight or flee, but then we end up with blood sugar irregularity from that. So it's a great one for kids all the way through adults. And it's a nice adjunct to me. It's not the biggest heavy hitter when it comes to cognition, but if you're looking for that more Zen state, and if it's an herb that really agrees with somebody, it's, it's a nice one. Some people do feel a little too spacey with it. I don't know if you've encountered that yourself. I don't know if you've had a chance to work with Tulsi or Holy Basil, but I occasionally will get folks, especially folks that in Ayurveda would be considered very vata or airy. You know, these are the folks that are kind of very changeable and excitable and, you know, as opposed to your more fiery pitta people or your more sluggish 
Kafa people. Um, so sometimes those Vata folks do end up feeling kind of high or sort of spacier. They don't, they actually don't like how they feel with holy basil. And so mm -hmm. I would listen to that. You know, it's not something that's really common that that would take place, but there are a few people that holy basil just doesn't quite agree with. And with any herb, if it doesn't feel like it agrees with you, even if you're not noticing something negative, but you're just like, yeah, I don't know if I really like how I am on this. You can try a different herb because there's no one herb for everybody and there are plenty of other herbs to choose from. Mm -hmm. my, my personal experience with holy basil or Tulsi tea is that it's almost put me to sleep just in the middle, in the middle of the day. So I've kind of wondered, wondered why, why that is. But now I, at least at this point, I don't tend to drink it during the day when I, you know, still have things planned because it, it's almost like a bit of a, a little bit of a mild sedative effect for me. It feels like I'm not really sure why that is, if it's a stress hormone issue or what, but, but that kind of makes sense with the, when you say spacey, almost kind of like that, you know, like, all right, <laughs> like a little too zened out here almost. It's so interesting. Yeah. I've had a few students or clients actually say, you know, I almost feel high. And some people are like, mm -hmm. I liked it, but it's not something I want to have while I'm working or <laughs> yeah, right. like it at all. So yeah. but whereas yeah. other folks will just feel more focused. And so right. it's a little different. different. And if that's yeah. not the case, I often like to combine it with lemon balm, which actually grounds it a little bit. It is oh. lemon balm in and of itself is also a calming herb. So some people will feel more or less sedated by it. We'll, we'll get to lemon balm in just a moment actually. So mm -hmm. Um, so let's jump into nervines. Yeah, and this is another good. really, really useful category. And if I only had two categories, especially with kids and ADHD to work with, it would be the nootropics and the nervines. So nervines, okay. as I mentioned earlier, these are herbs that help nourish and support a healthy nervous system. The term nervine can be used a little differently by different herbalists. Some herbalists just use it to mean anything that affects the nervous system anyway. So like caffeine is a nervine because it's um, it has an effect on the nervous system. But usually more often, the way herbalists use it and the way I'm using it are the herbs that are restorative to the nervous system that they're very, you know, kind of slightly calming, but nourishing. They're usually not over sedating and just very balancing and supportive for somebody who's maybe feeling a little bit on edge or a little overstimulated. These would be great sets of herbs and they make a great base and a formula too. You know, these herbs as well as like the go-to cola and the bacopa can be sort of the bulk of the formula and can be really, really useful. And often you'll notice a difference from these right away. And then over time, they build even more. So one of them is lemon balm. And this one is one of the faster acting options. And this is in the mint family. The mint family is cool because in addition to have, you know, lemon balm is special because it has these nerving properties, but a lot of different mint family plants help boost certain neurotransmitters like acetylcholine, which is a really important neurotransmitter for lots of different things in the body. And they also have their aromas, which ignite very quick responses. Some of them are more calming, some are more perky, like Rosemary is also in this group. Peppermint is in this group, but each kind of has its own little vibe of whether it's more energizing, more calming, but they all improve focus. And they're usually antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, lots of different benefits. But lemon balm is just a great nervine in addition to being a tiny bit calming, but also improves focus at the same time. And one of the cool studies they did with humans, they used capsules and... Hmm. Capsules are actually one of the least effective ways to use lemon balm because it loses a lot of potency when you dry it. And capsules are usually made from dried powdered 
leaves. And this particular study, it, was, it wasn't an extract or anything. It was just dry powdered leaves. So it's, herbalists would say this is like the most expensive, least effective form of herbal medicine, especially something like lemon balm that is better fresh and loses potency quickly when it's dry. But in that study, they did one, like a 1,600 milligram dose, which would be about, you know, three, maybe four capsules. And within one hour, the adults had more calmness, their anxiety was reduced, and they also had improved mental performance within mm. just one hour. And then we do see a lot of, in a lot of studies, and certainly in our clinical experience as well, that using lemon balm on a regular basis just helps people out dramatically. They usually aren't going to feel too sedated during the day, but they sleep better at night. You can take it at night. You can take it during the day. And especially when I have kids or adults that are a little bit more on that hyper side or, you know, a little bit overstimulated, Lemon Mom does a nice job bringing down that stimulation, hyperactivity, agitation, anger, any of those things. Lemon Mom is really good at just bringing that down a notch while also keeping people functioning well and then improving the functioning of the nervous system over time. So it's just one of, it's one of the first herbs I ever started working with as an herbalist and as an herb student. And it's one of my absolute favorites in my practice. So um, one study, there haven't been that many studies on, there have not been that many studies on children with ADHD as a single herb with lemon balm. Most of them have been looking more at adults with cognitive issues or healthy adults. But one of the studies that they did with kids with ADHD with lemon balm, they combined it with valerian, which is a little bit more sedating. Although with kids, valerian is not always as sedating as it would hmm. be for adults. And in this particular combination, the study was pretty impressive. They found that, you know, they had a group of kids with ADHD. So Without it, they were 75% of them weren't able to focus. When they had the formula, 14% of them, you know, we don't, that dropped to 14%, so less than one third. And then hyperactivity dropped from 61% to 13%, impulsiveness wow. dropped from 59% to 22%. So that was a pretty nice set of results. You know, that's a, a significant difference significant. for yeah. kids. That would be a difference between performing well in school or not performing well in school. And I use it quite widely in adults too. It's one of those herbs that's both subtle and really effective. If you're using a stronger format of it, like a tincture is one of my favorite ways to work with it. Although a fresh simmered still glycerite, that would be where you heat the glycerin covered, like almost like you're canning the plant in mm. the fresh plant in glycerin and, uh, and then strain it out after it's all done simmering for maybe 20 minutes or so. You can use either, either one of those. And uh, the, the tincture is even a little bit stronger. But if you're going to be using those stronger formats, you'll find that you might get a little bit more sedated by it if you take the higher doses. The good news is, is you see effects within an hour, so you can easily play around with it and find out what your sweet spot is for a dose. So for a tincture and an adult, I might just do like one milliliter to five milliliters. So I have some clients who take whole teaspoons of lemon balm mm. tincture, whereas somebody else might find that that puts them to sleep, you know, especially yep. from what you've told me, I would suspect that that <laughs> might put you to sleep in the middle of the day. And you you can easily, this is one of the fun things about formulation is you can shift these plants by what else you combine them with. So let's say you wanted to use lemon balm, but you didn't want it to be 
to sedating, you could maybe throw a little bit of peppermint or throw a little bit of something that is a little bit more stimulating with it. For most people, they would consider holy basil to be a little bit more stimulating. So that's a good combo hmm. for that, but maybe not, not so useful for you specifically. Or if you want it to be more sedating, you might take an herb like skullcap, which is a little bit more calming than lemon balm. So if you're trying to put somebody to sleep at the end of the night, or if you had somebody who was just really like all over the place and just needed to be brought down a notch, that person might do great with lemon balm and skullcap during the day. Whereas, you know, somebody like myself, I would be unconscious. <laughs> I would be asleep. <laughs> um, not unconscious like as in passing out, but I would be asleep yes. if I tried to take that during the day and then go to work. So mm. different people are different, but you can definitely shift the how stimulating or not stimulating or just the overall energy of the plants based on what else you combine it with. Um, milky oat seed is another really nice addition as nervines. And that one is one that's kind of nice to take on a regular basis in larger doses to get the results, but that's just very supportive for the nervous system and a little mm -hmm. bit calming. It's one that we tend to turn to when people are burnt out, fried, you know, just really like on overdrive and feeling really like restless energy from being so exhausted milky oat would be a great one to take regularly to sort of rebuild. Mm. Circulation enhancers. Um, kids usually don't have as much problem with circulation as adults do, but some options, you know, Hawthorne would be more of the tonic, large dose, regular time period. And while I don't use it as often in ADHD personally, this is the one that if you talk to David Winston, he does all sorts of great classes and lectures on ADHD. He says that if he had to choose just one herb, and he would never choose just one herb, but if he had to, he would use Hawthorne Berry Solid Extract for kids for ADHD. And it's just a, a little bit of a nervous system tonic. It's a great circulation enhancer. It's just a, a really nice nourishing tonic. And so that's definitely one to keep in mind. And the the solid extract format. It's not something we can make at home, but you can buy it from a couple different companies, David Winston's company being one of them. But there mm. are some other good ones like Wise Woman Herbals and feel like there's one more that I can't remember right now. And mm -hmm. uh, I use Wise Woman Herbals personally. And uh, you would buy that one. That's not something you can make teas, you can make tinctures, but it's a somewhat weak herb. So using it in this, the concentrated solid berry extract format Got is it. a little bit easier and it tastes good. So that makes it a little bit more, it's kind of like sweet berry paste and it would mm. be very easy for kids to to stick with on a regular basis because it's yummy there's no alcohol in it either um, rosemary is one that i might also consider especially if somebody needs to be sort of perky and that's one you could simply inhale you can ingest it in small amounts you can do tinctures you could throw a sprig or two in tea you don't need a lot of rosemary but it, it is a really nice sort of pick-me-up perky alert but then also does do a fantastic job supporting circulation throughout the brain and the body. So with those circulation enhancers, how would you how would you know or when would you be more likely to use those as a class? What would you be looking for? In terms of well, symptoms? maybe if somebody's feeling really sluggish, mm -hmm. um, if you just things don't seem to be quite getting through as well yeah. as you want them to, you yep. might use them. But especially that sluggishness 
would be a good indication. Maybe their brain seems a little bit foggy. Mm. I might consider that. And, and it's interesting because even though both Hawthorne and Rosemary are great circulation enhancers, energetically and usage-wise, they're very different. You know, Hawthorne is this very nourishing herb that you'd use in pretty large doses for a long period of time to get the results. Whereas you only need a little bit of rosemary and it just kind of has this quick jump, like moves everything, gets everything going. If you have folks with sluggish digestion, they often do well with rosemary. So if you're saying sluggish digestion, you might be able to guess that their brain's also a little bit mm, sluggish too. And, uh, and even just inhaling it, putting it as an aromatherapy spray or periodically, I wouldn't expose kids to lots of essential oils. I feel like there's no need to have those diffusing at all times, but little quick hits here and there, you know, have a little, a little bottle that they can open up and sniff, you know, even if that bottle just has a, a cotton ball with a few drops and so not necessarily a whole bottle of essential oil that a child is walking around with, but mm -hmm. maybe a little cotton ball in a jar with a few drops of essential oil and you just open it up and take a quick whiff. And then close it back up again, you get your little bit of perkiness. And it's one of those herbs that's been used for pretty much almost as long as we know of. Dioscorides, who's written the first Western herbal that's still in print, wrote about this being a really useful herb. We have seen the ancient Greeks and Romans would braid it into their hair when the students were doing exams and sniff it to help oh, wow. them remember things. So it has a really long history of use. And then it has research more recently, both as a, a plant that you consume in like the leaf form or the needle form, as well as an essential oil that you inhale and showing benefit, especially with adults and elders, but potentially useful for kids as well. So just as kind of a fun rosemary for remembrance, perky alert kind of mm -hmm. um, yeah, How easy to apply, right? Just yeah. look cotton ball. There you go. Totally. Yeah. And I, I've actually come across adults who had dementia, and this is sort of a, a dramatic case. I can't say that everybody's going to have this dramatic result, but I ran into a gentleman had, who had almost completely reversed his dementia by just diffusing rosemary essential oil in the air in very small mm -hmm. amounts, like less than a bottle in, a, in the course of a whole year. So it's, it's a pretty impressive herb that we sometimes overlook because it's just everywhere. Um, another kind wow. of herb that's sort of related to that would be mints like peppermint and spearmint, but especially peppermint, that's another perky alert. And almost all the research that's been on cognition with peppermint has been on inhaling it or chewing it as gum. There really haven't been very many traditional herbal like ingestion uses. And, and really like just chewing gum period helps people be more alert and focused. Mm -hmm. And studies have shown that and studies have also shown specifically inhaling peppermint or in chewing peppermint gum has been useful. And I had a student in one of my courses who worked in the school system and we were talking about, we had this class and she was like, oh, you know, in our school system now we give all the kids a pack of gum and a thing of mints when they go to do their standardized testing. And our school now performs so much better on standardized <laughs> testing because the kids get their mints and their gum. Wow. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of a funny <laughs> twist of events because I remember, you know, my mom's generation, they would get in so much trouble. You had all the gum underneath the desks. The kids would get yelled at. I'm like, actually, kids, we're onto something. Let them chew their peppermint gum. Yeah. Class, it's not yep. rude. It's actually helping them focus a little mm -hmm. bit. And, you know, some of the cool studies that they've done with inhaling peppermint, they've found that improved alert alertness, memory, cognitive performance, people who are doing clerical tasks. So typing, memorizing, alphabetizing had better accuracy and better speed when they were inhaling peppermint versus not having other, any other odor. And uh, there have mm -hmm. been some really neat studies with spearmint as well. Spearmint's a little bit more 
calm alert than peppermint would be. And the few studies that have been done on spearmint have been all funded by a company that's making a spearmint extract. And predominantly they're focusing on elders and cognitive decline and dementia, mm -hmm. but it would still be a worthy consideration for a tea blend or, you know, flavor enhancement if you were doing something for a kid and, uh, and not quite as perky, I suppose you could say, as a peppermint would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another kind of more stimulating herb, I'm just going to mention them briefly. And I did say yeah. something about this earlier, but more in adults, I wouldn't usually use these in kids, but rhodiola is pretty stimulating and fast acting with a lot of good studies showing and helping with, you know, students taking exams and hospital shift night workers. And that's one that I do find that if folks are, you know, maybe they feel like they need a little pick me up, they're tempted to go back to taking Adderall or some other medication that works for them, but they don't like the side effects because a lot of the, the ADHD medications, they're very effective, but they do have a lot of potential side effects and they are you know, often controlled substances as well, that sometimes they'll get by just fine by using rhodiola instead. And they'll just take a little bit of rhodiola as they need it and not take it if they don't need it. It's a nice little perky herb. And then shizandra berries, which are a flavor explosion in your mouth. I, you've probably had shizandra before, but they're sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, but especially they're really sour and kind of funky, sort of like biting into or, um, a kumquat or a grapefruit mm. peel or something like that. It's just a really strong flavor, but that also can help too. And that's the one that I mentioned. Thomas Easley will often have folks eat the berries. This is usually adults, but have folks mm. eat a couple of the dried berries to help them as they're transitioning off of ADHD medications, both for improving focus and also reducing the withdrawal effects of going off of some of the medications. Now, of course, I should state that as herbalists, we are not allowed to make recommendations on how people take or go off of their pharmaceuticals. And if people are on pharmaceuticals, they should be working with the doctor to figure out what's appropriate and if they're going to go off of it, how to go off of it and all that. But these are some sure. herbs that, especially in adults, could sometimes be helpful. So those, I'd say those are all the real biggies that I tend to work with when I'm helping, you know, either kids or adults with ADHD. Do you have any like questions about any of those? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the stimulating herbs, just an observation that, you know, sure enough, I've seen rhodiola and, you know, for instance, there's um, um, a supplement company that makes a combination supplement designed to boost dopamine mm -hmm. and rhodiola is, is in there. So I'm, I'm just curious, do you know anything about the dopamine connection, anything you're aware of in terms of research? I wonder if they put it in there just because of the, the pick me up or the stimulation there more than anything. Yeah, there is definitely a connection of dopamine and ADHD. And I'm going to have to like pull up my notes on this. So I say, mm. right, because it's not really one of the key things that I personally tend to think about and address ah. when I'm working with folks, but it is something that does seem to have some connection. And it is interesting that folks with ADHD often really are wired differently from your, you know, sort of neural normal folks. So they are, they are a little bit different. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. They're just different. So, um, and I'm not seeing, let me just pull that up real quick so I can dopamine, let's search for keywords. So yeah, so um, they have found that folks with ADHD do tend to have lower dopamine levels, and it seems to be attributed to more of these compounds called dopamine transporters mm. that might be kind of working through the dopamine a little bit more quickly. More and quickly. so that's yeah. partly how the amphetamine drugs like Adderall and Ritalin work, and also how why caffeine supplements also tend to 
work well in improving focus and even calmness and centeredness in kids who are ADHD. But if you had a a normal kid have that, they might be through the roof, like more hyperactive. Right. So that, and since rhodiola is an herb that also has a little bit of dopamine boosting activity, that is probably part of the way in which it's acting in Mm. support. And uh, it's funny, I had another student who worked in the school system. She was a math teacher and she had some students who were, who had ADHD, not surprisingly, and she would hand them a can of like Mountain Dew at the beginning of class and be like, drink up. (laughs) I want you to be focused. (laughs) And you know, that was what was available and easy and that the kid was willing to have. Definitely not as an herbalist, my favorite thing to have people (laughs) consuming, but I thought that was funny that she would be like, all right, we're going to need you to focus today. Did you have your can of caffeine? Yeah, there it is, right? Yeah, this has been been really, really wonderful because you've you've given you know those who are listening first a lot of different options, some way to conceptualize some options, but also a really nice mix of of really delivery formats, right? So from a cotton ball to some simple teas to something that perhaps someone would really want to work with an herbalist for like a tincture and really specific and individualized formulation. So, you know, I guess my my next question for you would just be, what are your top considerations for safety? You know, when someone is thinking about um, pulling this all together and if a couple of things have caught their eye, you know, or ear, um, you know, I might want to try this for myself or my child, anything that people should be aware of, like herb drug interactions or when should someone seek out care from an herbalist versus just DIYing in your professional opinion? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of, Interesting because most of these herbs are actually pretty safe. And so they're generally okay if somebody just wanted to start playing around with them. There aren't a lot of really serious negative side effects or herb drug interactions with them. If you did have somebody who was already on medications, especially psychoactive medications, then it would be a good idea to work with an herbalist just to kind of help suss out any potential issues. It's not that you couldn't say use these herbs alongside SSRI antidepressants or alongside Adderall or Ritalin. You actually could, and and there's very low risk for interaction there for most of them. Schizandra, because of its effects on the liver and detoxification might be more apt to interact with some medications than most of the other herbs are. But but it's always a good idea to introduce slowly. And then if you do have somebody who's on, you know, some pretty stronger medications, it would be a good idea to seek professional guidance for that. And then I think also starting with low doses and working your way up and finding that right dosage spot for you or for a child is useful, keeping in mind that adult dosage and children's doses are not the same. So at the very least, you can use that body weight guide. So if you see an adult dose, assume that's 150 pounds and then divide that by the weight. But everybody is a little different too. So, you know, use that as your approximate, then start even lower and work your way up and see how people do with that. Um, Hmm. Do your research on each plant so that you get to know all the ins and outs of them and you don't have just one quick little, you know, keyword that you're going to use and go with that. Do your research on them, you know, know what plants you're going to be using and understand their, their full usages, even beyond the sort of constructs of ADHD, you know, what else are they used for? What else might they be appropriate for or not appropriate for as you get to know them? And I would be more cautious with those adaptogens with younger children because, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of Goju Cola and maybe Holy Basil, a lot of them do have some 
impacts on reproductive hormones. And I just feel like we don't know enough. They have not traditionally been used in kids for the most part. They've usually been used in older adults. And I don't really want to be tinkering around too much with their reproductive hormones when they're so young. Mm. So that, that's my personal take on that. You might find mm-hmm. other herbalists who feel differently. But those are all just some different considerations. But generally, most of these plants, especially those nootropics and the nervines that we discussed, are pretty safe for most people. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, really, really important considerations there. So I know one one of your projects has been with the herbarium that you have you've produced a really fantastic three part series on you know this very topic. So um, I'd love it if you would just share um, just a little bit of information about that as another resource for people if they want to go a little bit deeper. Um, and then anything else in terms of your resources, you know, website, um, places where people could just go to the next level. Yeah. Learn more from you. So the herbarium is great. That's, you know, just in general, that's a cool service that the Herbal Academy puts out and I occasionally contribute to it. So one of the things I contributed was this ADHD intensive and that is three-part series. Each series, each part of the series has a webinar. So you'll get to see slides and listen to me talk and go into detail. I love that you get to see pictures of all the plants that we're talking about, makes them a little Mm. bit more real and you'll get some recipe ideas and protocol points and some really useful charts to help sort of organize all the information you can get text-based materials, but then there's also audio and video and slides that that all work together on that particular short course. But to get that, you have to be a subscriber to the herbarium. It's only $45 a year, which isn't really that much. I don't, you know, they paid me for what I did, so I don't get paid anymore. <laughs> if you decide <laughs> to become a you know member or anything like mm-hmm. that, I don't have any stock in them. But you get all sorts of other cool things. So not only would you have access to my program, but they also have some short courses on polycystic ovarian syndrome, Ayurvedic approach to joint health, herbs for animals, dealing with stress with herbs. And then they have monographs, which are write-ups on individual herbs. And theirs are really nice and detailed. They're very well uh, annotated with studies as well as traditional uses. And there's some of the more in-depth uh, herb plant write-ups that I've seen out there. And oh, then wow. you also get articles on all sorts of different topics. I've done quite a few on things like sleep, diabetes, blood sugar control. And sorry, my computer is complaining. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. But so yeah, so the herbarium has all sorts of great resources there as well, including my program. So you get all of that for your membership. You can't take my intensive as an individual class. It just kind of mm. comes as part of the package, but yeah. it's so reasonably priced. You get that plus a whole bunch more. And then of course mm. I have my own online herbal home study programs as well as on-site classes. And you can take individual classes or do series. And those are available on my website, wintergreenbotanicals.com. And then I have my two books, Body Into Balance and Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies. Both of Mm -hmm. those have a lot of really great information on this topic. I have whole chapters devoted to brain boosting herbs, talking about not just ADHD, but the the kind of broader concepts for all ages for cognition. And I do have a little deal for your listeners if you're interested. Yes, you share. So if people want to get both my books and they 
they need to do it through me on my website. And it's, mm-hmm. I can't compete with the pricing that you get through some of the bigger, you know, thou shall not be named. Um, that are out there. <laughs> so I can't compete exactly with the pricing. I just, I would be paying you to take my books. Um, but what I can do is mm-hmm. if you get one of each of my books, it's $5 off if you use the promo code book deals. So it's all one word, B-O-O-K-D-E-A-L. Mm-hmm. So you'll get $5 off and then you'll get a signed copy and that will definitely support me the most as an author. And then for Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, if you get that one through me, whether you're getting it as part of the the two books or just on its own, you'll get bonus items. So there are a couple remedy making videos, me making different recipes from the book, including some of the brain boosting ones like Brainiac bonbons and Ah, some recipes and some tinctures, how to make Mm -hmm. tinctures, and then also some various eBooks that go with it as well. So you, you will get those as perks if you get Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies through me. And that'll just happen automatically when you order through my website. Okay. It sounds like a great little gift to, to give ourselves, right? Totally. <laughs> lots, is, lots I don't know when that. this will air, but it is the holiday season almost. It sure is. Yeah. It won't be long. So we will absolutely you know, put some kind of a link in, in the notes. People could just go find that and, and click on it to access all of those goodies there. So thank you for that, Maria. Very good. Well, is there anything in summary that's been unsaid? Anything that you would just offer in closing for those who are listening? Oh, I feel like we've covered so much good we stuff. We sure have. Do you yes. want to just reiterate what I said earlier on, and that is that the herbs are amazing. They're so useful mm-hmm. in helping with ADHD and cognition in general, but I do think they work best alongside looking at the diet, looking at the lifestyle pieces. And so, you know, if you're just taking herbs and doing everything else kind of quote unquote wrong, the herbs can only do so much, but they make really great training wheels alongside those healthy living changes to make mm. things be more effective. So I really do feel like herbs work pretty well by themselves, but they work much better when we use them alongside lifestyle and dietary changes. Hmm. Maria, you are a wealth of knowledge and such a great advocate for just yeah, natural ways to support our brains and our bodies and feeling better and performance and all those good things. So thank you for being so generous with your time and information. And if anyone would like to get in contact with you, as I'm sure they would, could you just tell them website again and anything else that you'd like to for contact, which will definitely my website is the best place to start. And that's just wintergreenbotanicals.com. And you can also Google pretty easily Maria Herbalist, New Hampshire, you'll find me. And, uh, and then on that, I have all sorts of information. You can go to the learn more page and that has blogs and articles articles and class notes and podcasts. And once this one comes out, I'll link that on there as well. So, and there is even a whole blog post that I've done on brain boosting that includes some of the articles that I've done that are annotated with studies. So if you want to dig into the studies, you can check that, that particular blog post out. So that's a great place. I am on Instagram as Maria Noel Grove. So you can Mm -hmm. check that out. And then I am on Facebook on my wintergreen botanicals page. I keep my, I keep my personal page personal, but my wintergreen botanicals page has a lots of great herbal resources that I'm always posting on there. And then I have a mailing list that you can access through any of those places really. And that's about one email a month with articles, tips, recipes that I send out. Okay. So for all of you who are listening, go all those places and access lots to explore there. So Maria, thank you again. Take really good care of yourself. Really appreciate the time and the information. 
Thank you so much for having me and for getting this out there to the world. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Hi there. Sarah Fahara here, owner of Nourished Brain Solutions. It's my goal with this podcast to explore strategies for empowered and well-informed food and eating decisions. If this information has been supportive to you, please share with your friends and leave me a review up on iTunes. To learn more about how food is impacting the way you feel on a day-to-day basis, head over to my website at www.nourishedbrainsolutions.com for a free copy of my food mood journal. We'll see you soon.